the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. As we do every second hour on Wednesday, we check in with our good buddy, Representative David Schweikert, representing the 6th Congressional District for Arizona. Those numbers will change in a little bit, but for now, still the 6th. I was listening to that intro, Voice of Reason, Powerful Ideas. That's David Schweikert to me. How are you, sir? <laughs> oh, you know, I know I shouldn't listen to the news, so I listened to a little bit of your news segment just at the top of the hour. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and hearing what the president's saying on, you know, okay, um, we need more productivity to deal with inflation, except a whole bunch of his Build Back Better is designed to crush productivity. And, and I know we're talking, you know, sort of classic economics, but... You know, the miracle after, you know, our tax cut during the Trump administration was productivity went up so fast, people were making more money, but there was no inflation. Yep. Today, we have people that have been handed tremendous amounts of money, and there's lots of inflation because um, the money supply is going dramatically faster than productivity. But there's things in the, the tax proposal um, to pay for the big social spending plan that will crush it. So, yeah, once again, you, know, you listen to this president, and either he has no blanking idea what he's talking about, or they're absolutely duplicitous, talking about both sides, outside, both sides of their mouth. David, um, you you uh, you almost make me want to say maybe the end of the Build Back Better uh, uh, agenda or legislation is, uh, is going to be a boost to productivity. So it begs, or it makes me ask this question um is it dead is is, the, is that legislation dead for now I, people are talking about yeah. it coming back what's your sense of it yeah i think they'll they'll get something we but one of our great successes um uh, as for those of us on the conservative side freedom caucus everyone else is we have educated the public to the point where they understood this build back better was a disaster yeah yeah. Um, and think about the conversations you and I were having yep. at the beginning of the summer. Yep. This was a slam dunk. Yep. They were going to slam it through using reconciliation. They were going to run us over in the House, and you know they were going to slam it through the Senate. And we made it so they functioned were three months behind mm-hmm. in getting it out of the House. Mm-hmm. We made it so difficult, and substantially that was because we kept telling the truth about it. You know, I have, what, a dozen hours on the floor of the House walking through the math on how it actually made poor people poorer by the end of the decade. Yeah. The detachment from work, the amount of debt it created, all these other things. Um, and somehow I think folks, it, it, it weren't necessarily conservative or liberal, but sort of that middle that all of a sudden started to realize maybe this wasn't really good for their future. No, they got it, and uh, and you gave these fabulous lectures. A hundred hours—is that what you said? How many? No, hours? no, no. I probably have 
a dozen hours. A dozen hours. Okay, so Which that is, would be uh, that would be like a, a, a yeah. I was just thinking of the millions of dollars you did. This interesting thing was it about fifty million bucks for a half hour? <laughs> is that is is that about we, we the borrow? We right now are borrowing forty seven thousand yeah. dollars, actually a little more, every second. Yeah, yeah, every yeah. second. So add up the seconds of this discussion. Times forty-seven thousand, and that's what we just borrowed. Well, you used it well in the purpose of saving our money, and I want to talk to you about some of that in just a moment. But let me dial back one second as it applies to productivity and inflation, if I can, David. Am I crazy? I have had a couple of conversations with folks saying, "I, I, I don't understand what happened in this country. We all know." What causes inflation? It's not it's 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 not a controversial science. Yes, Milton Friedman may himself be controversial, but irrespective of Milton Friedman, we all learned in the twelfth grade what causes inflation. It was pretty basic. Friedman, right? Stop, stop. Friedman's controversial. Well, to people who don't who don't who don't listen to this show, perhaps okay, it's controversial, yeah. or who don't listen to you. <laughs> to some people, he has been seen as controversial. But irrespective of the way he outlined it, every every twelfth grade economics prof- teacher said the same thing. We know what causes it: this 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 uh, the spending and 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 the dollars and the goods problem. Why was Belt Back Better even ever an option in a time of record high inflation? Uh, because very simple: if you've ever sat down with someone on the left, um, feelings are what must be validated. Okay. Um, you're not judged by your accomplishment and outcome. You're judged by your intention. So if your intention is to spend five, six trillion dollars over 10 years, sending people checks and, and uh, putting up, you know, green energy stations and giving, you know, millionaires tax credits so they'll go out and buy electric vehicles, your intention and that's one of the great perversities when you try to have conversations with folks on the left is often I don't often they may mean well, but the way they judge meaning well is it's sort of their feeling, their intention. It's not actually the quality of the outcome. And I think a lot of Americans, you know, they live in a real world. They don't pay attention to politics, that they're just trying to take care of their families and keep their job and figure out how to buy things for, you know, just to survive. And those are the folks who ultimately are realizing there's something really wrong out there right now. Um, David, I, I, it's, you've, you've talked about this before, and, and, and we have, of course, as well, this notion of arguing with people's feelings when you know there just simply are no facts that back them up and and it's it's true i was reading a book recently that really went into great detail on this point it really is like arguing with a member of a church it really is hard it's so very yeah. very hard to but discuss these people you know, you know what i'm saying yeah uh, much of the left are a type of faith community yeah you know, their faith isn't a god. It's sort of a collectivist. If we were just nice to each other, um, everything would be fine. And if we give away money, everything will be fine. And I remember the crazy reactions when we showed the the papers being written by uh, the University of Chicago economists saying because they were removing 
relationships for work, our job training, our even looking for work in the Build Back Better, that it was actually going to hurt poor people because um, we're sending them money, but society wasn't asking for anything back, and we weren't helping them find a way to make their lives better. And, and the outrage I was getting from my Democrat members, like, well, that's just, that's just wrong to be asking people to, to participate in the economy to get something. And you realize just how perverse it is, but it was about their feelings. Yeah, it, it and we and we can talk more about that. I I wanted to I just wanted to uh, put that out there because it's 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 going to be something we're going to have to deal with if we want to win them over as converts, and it's an extremely difficult thing to do. I loved one of your speeches the other day. I think about two or three days ago, <laughs> you were talking about entitlements and uh, and reform, <laughs> and you said, you know, even in twelve step meetings. The first step is admitting you have a problem, or at least the first yeah. process is to admit you have a problem. <laughs> you said we can't even line, get to the first step in Congress. It was very well done, sir. Well, and, and to show you how out of balance and how dangerous it is, I know almost everything your station will talk about and every other conservative show and this and that. We're talking about the issues of the day. But the issue I'm just profoundly terrified is at the rate of our debt and the speed it's growing and then the lack of productivity behind it, it will consume us. It will consume everything. And you might fairly say we have an addiction to it. We are addicted to this kind of behavior, legislative and economic. We are addicted to it. Well, and, and you don't get invited back to the cool kids party when you stand on the table and scream, do you realize how precarious someone is heading towards retirement, your future is, or your kid's future. But there is a path. But the path to fix it now is complex. It's no longer, oh, we'll do a little bit of entitlement reform and look all, we can make all the numbers better. Mm-hmm. We missed that date almost 20 years ago. Yeah, We would have had to do it back in the early George Bush administration mm-hmm. for the adjustments to work. Today, you have to have a revolution in the cost, particularly the cost of health care. Remember, and you're, I the, you're the only one talking about this, or one of the few but, anyway. Yeah. But our, our brothers and sisters out there often don't want to hear it. Medicare is the primary drive of U.S. sovereign debt. In 29 years, it's over $112 trillion of borrowing. So Medicare, then Social Security, and then the rest of the budget is actually in balance. And it's because... We're getting old very fast as a society. The last decade or two, we haven't had that many children. You know, so fertility rates have collapsed. And regulatory codes, um, everything else. We had a great blip for a couple of years when we fixed the tax code, when we were fixing some of the regulatory. But now we're back to the bad old days. Yep. Um, there is hope. Um, and oddly enough, it, it, it turns out a lot of it is technology. But we have to legalize it. Yep. A lot of the very technology that would make us healthier um, and crash the price of healthcare, believe it or not, is still illegal to make people sovereign. Yep. Well, that's why I love why you uh, I love these speeches you're giving because you're 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 proposing ways to solve this, which would, as you well pointed out in in the speech I was watching, 
actually is not an end to entitlement. It's a preservation of them, making them more cost effective and kind of the purpose of why you're all there in the first place, making life easier and healthier for people. I love it, David. I love what you do. I really do. You are very kind. David, um, this will be our last before Christmas. Let me wish you and your whole family a very, very Merry Christmas and look forward to catching up with you on the flip side. And a blessed one to you you and every one of your listeners. Thank you, sir. Until next week, God bless. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Don, thanks for calling back. Welcome. Uh, glad glad to be able to. Thank you. You bet. Uh, big fan of your show. Thank you. Uh, I'm pulling you back to a previous topic. I hope that's okay. You're yeah, yeah, it's, and, I, and I don't have, I don't categorize topics. It's all our territory, as Lincoln said. Anything, anytime. Right. It, it, it relates. <laughs> all right, sounds good. Well, uh, i I have wanted the opportunity to make this point, and I have not been able to yet. So uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity. So I'm a doctor. I I know a few things about this stuff. Um, The uh, first point I want to make relates to uh, having a more contagious but less virulent strain or version of something and uh, how we should think about that. So in the late 1700s, England had a problem with smallpox, of course, right? And uh, you may remember how they uh, how they dealt with it. Do you recall? I don't know how they did. I remember how George Washington did when it came here. But go ahead. So uh, a doctor uh, named Jenner, Edward Jenner, discovered that people who'd recovered from cowpox, yeah, that right, 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 uh, right, were Same. immune right. to smallpox. Right. right yeah. Right, so a right. less virulent, uh, but but analogous disease, people could be inoculated with it they would get over it and then showed immunity to something much more severe, right? Mm -hmm. So we called that a a vaccine Mm -hmm. at the time, Mm -hmm. or at least an inoculation, right? So as we see a variant come out that is clearly less virulent than the original, uh, possibly more contagious, but uh, last report I saw, still not a single death from it in the United States. Um, I haven't heard anybody talk about the possibility that we may want people to get this variant, recover from it and possibly find that they have uh, immunity to more virulent strains as they come out. Do you, do you I, mean more, sure more lethal? I, I just want to make sure yeah, our terminology yeah. is the same. Uh, yeah, virulent causing more uh, more dise- uh, more severe disease or, yeah, more lethal. Okay, yeah, okay, 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 okay. That. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. So, so it, it's clearly less lethal. We sort of knew that from the beginning. The only reason people started getting up in arms about it was because there were some initial reports that said it was highly mutated yeah and then everybody just kind of stared back blankly and they said and we we assume that means it'll be dangerous yeah oh and then right. you know, we, everybody started uh, going out and buying toilet paper again so, right. Uh, right. there was no grounds for it then and increasingly it seems there is no grounds for it we probably want people to get this we used to, we were talking about herd immunity earlier yeah. right yeah how we how what's the best way to get herd immunity find a less virulent strain and let people get it. You know, but one of, one of the interesting things that was absent from Joe but President Biden's ad- address yesterday is he he doesn't talk about that aspect of it at all. They're happy to talk about if you're vaccinated, you're good to go. They never talk about yeah. if you had it, you're good to go. Is that is that well, is that a blind that, spot on their part? Uh, I, I don't think it's uh, accidentally blind. <laughs> OK, OK. 
it's an omission. Is it scientifically but, uh, so sound know, to ignore the people who have had it as being? No, absolutely not. Okay. So we, we know now as well that natural immunity, meaning immunity derived from having recovered from the disease, creating your own antibodies yeah. through natural processes, is better, Has uh, it's more robust, seems to hang around longer, has better uh, protection than vaccinated immunity. We know that, too. That's why we're up to three doses now. To, to try and claim that we're immune. But we, you know, even the three doses, it's going to be shown that they wane after a certain time frame. So we know natural immunity is better, but before there's the risk-benefit analysis of do I take my chances getting it, uh, on the off chance that I'm one of the people who gets severely ill from it, uh, and then you can, you know, stratify your own demographic risk factors and those things. But um, the, the, the point was it was maybe dangerous to go that route. Well, now it may be less dangerous. Uh, you know, if, if Omicron becomes the dominant strain uh, that most people are getting, uh, you know, if you're under a certain age, you know, pick an age, maybe say under 50, probably better off getting Omicron, right? This is just speculation. It if you're going to gonna get it, better off to have I, I, it makes perfectly good sense to me. What's odd is you had physicians who saw early versions of this in South Africa in fact, the one who pinpointed it, I think, is the head of South Africa's version of the AMA down there, and she was yeah, saying, right? She was saying that this was an overreaction. Why? 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 Yes. Why are we reacting like this? Oh uh, well, uh, I, I, crisis I industrial complex that. syndrome. There, there seems to be something to be gained. That's yeah, all I can say. My second point yeah. is uh, we we have long had a name for a coronavirus that was very contagious but caused only mild illness. Do you know what that is? A coronavirus that was very contagious but caught no, what? A cold. Yeah, right. We call it cold. Right. It is a cold. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, we uh, just the the absolute mania about it. Is you, you know, that's a very good point. Unfounded. You may have friends, you may have patients like this. I have had in the last week three friends who have told me they have had a cold, a bad cold that they can't get rid of. It's been hanging around for a couple few weeks. And they test every week, and it's not COVID. And I and it, and mm-hmm. I had we had to remind ourselves, you know, before before twenty twenty, yeah, people did get cold, these yeah. colds. Yes, this did yeah. happen. Yeah. Yes. yes, yeah. And uh, with no death, it may be a, a mild cold. I mean, a, and the average cold, you we would have some deaths to show for sure. it. You know, uh, sure. frail people and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still none for Omicron. No. I mean, it's a mild cold. So, well, anyway. here's the way. Uh, first of all, thank you for your call, and thank you for calling back too. Look, they are now no longer recommending Johnson & Johnson after a year of recommending Johnson & Johnson. Why? Because they identified 10 deaths attributable to the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and causing an odd disease, or a rare disease, I should say. With no Omicron deaths, that means there's an over 800% higher death rate from the J&J vaccine than from Omicron. Why that isn't the story, I, don't, I do know. It's because it would make the government experts look bad. But that should be the story. Thank you, Don. Six zero two fifty eighty nine sixty. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I kept uh, promising to tell you about how people know if they have the Omicron uh, strain or variant. Uh, Prevention Magazine does a really good job, or Prevention dot com does a really good job of going through it with a bunch of hyperlinks and. Research. Um, if it is passing strange to you that so many people are telling you or tweeting or on social media elsewhere saying that 
they or someone they know has the Omicron. I, I, I do want you to ask him if it's not passing strange to you that in three weeks we went from seven-tenths of a percent of COVID cases being uh, Omicron uh, to 73% now. Uh, if, if that's odd to you, it's odd to me. How, how do we know? How do we know? Well, when the CDC releases information on percentages of variants in the U.S., they're not analyzing every single positive test in the country. Instead, they're conducting, conducting what's known as genetic sequencing on a percentage of positive tests across the country. For the latest results, the CDC analyzed, for example, 160 test results from Alabama, 4,100 or so tests from Arizona, 18,000 plus from California, to get a breakdown of what percentage of those positive tests match up with a particular strain of COVID-19. The CDC officials and lab technicians don't even know whose test results they're analyzing for privacy purposes. They're de-identified before testing, meaning your name is out of the question. As a result, the CDC couldn't even call you or your doctor to say what strain of COVID-19 you have. So does your doctor know? Not usually. The tests that are run by doctors in offices and hospitals don't sequence and specify the variant. The rapid antigen tests that are often used to get quick results just tell you if you're positive or negative. They don't do it either. Even a PCR test, which is considered the gold standard of COVID-19, Testing is not going to tell you. It's not going to sequence the test. And PCRs can take days to give you results, too, which is why your doctor typically does a rapid test of some version or another. So is there a way to find out what strain you have? Here's where it gets tricky. The Omicron variant has a particular genetic sequencing that can show up differently on PCR test results that you wouldn't see with other strains of COVID-19, like Delta. It's called S-gene target failure and can show up as a banned dropout on the test results. This can give you a hint that it's Omicron, but in no way is it definitive. Right now, if you got a PCR test, the lab technician could tell you that this looks consistent with Omicron as his best or her best guess. And most family medicine doctors aren't going to be asking about this. They typically just want to know if you're positive or negative. Can you tell from symptoms? It's not a slam dunk diagnosis by any stretch. Not at all. So when people tell you they have Omicron, ask them how they know. Ask them how they know. It's not to embarrass them. It's, it's not that at all. It's that I would like us to talk less about the ominous nature of Omicron uh, I, and, and, and taking a new word to replace COVID because we've cried wolf about COVID so long that we now need something new to fear. I get that that is being done. It seems like it. Look up the word synecdoche. Omicron is now being used as a synecdoche for COVID. And uh, you don't have to, Bill. I, I was just, it's a good word. It's not often used, synecdoche. And it, it's spelled like synecdoche. But synecdoche, it's, it's the replacement. And um, abstain from it. Resist it. I, we, we shouldn't have to go around finding things more scary than the thing before, especially when they're less, just because there is a group of people in this country, a very large group in this country, that does believe that the thing we have to fear most is the absence of fear. I'm frightened of them. Mike's in Maricopa. Hi, Mike. 
Schenectady. I thought that was a city in Ohio. A city in New York. There, there you go. There you go. <laughs> well, you know, number one, I want to say to you, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Ed. Mike. You are a gift to us that gives all year long. That's, thank you that's, very much. That's a very, very moving compliment. Gosh, thank you. Thank, thank you, sir. Uh, I, my comment is obviously about the lessons that our dad taught us, and I'm going to get right on it. But uh, you were talking about the President Biden's. Oh, Mike, will you do time. me a big favor? I, I don't know if you have the time, but can can I put you on hold? I have one a uh, uh, one guest coming up. Can you hold or or call back? I would love to hear both of these points. Um, if 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 you want to call back, call back in twenty. Or if you're willing to hold, I'd 20. love if you would. I, I promise I'll get to you if you can call back. I just got to take the commercial break. I don't have control over that, and uh, and a pre booked guest for a segment. Uh, if you'll bear with me, uh, if you've got the time, I've got the air. And the ear. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. As we do every Wednesday, we check in with our Robert Jackson fellow in constitutional studies, Brett W. Johnson, a partner at the Snell and Wilmer Law Firm here based in Phoenix, but offices throughout the country. Brett, how are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me, Seth. Always. Thanks for doing this. I want to do two things with you. Um, one, I'm going to ask you about uh, any lessons your father would have taught you. I'm asking my audience about that today. But before we do that, Brett, um, today was a big day or supposed to be a big day from what I've read and heard uh, for the Independent Redistricting Commission. Have we got some light at the end of this tunnel? Are we at the end of this tunnel? What's your sense of things right now, Brett? Almost. They are actually voting as we speak on the legislative maps. They uh, voted previously this morning on the congressional maps um, on a 5-0 vote. So the congressional maps are are basically set pending um, some administrative work that has to be done for election administration. Okay. Um, so, so we do have probably about 26 days until we have final, final maps. But um, basically the lines are drawn and anybody can go to IRCAZ.gov, I believe, is the website, mm-hmm. and and check out where they where they're going to be falling into these lines. Fast, fantastic. Um, and then, uh, basically, your individual views, speaking for yourself, did they do a pretty good job? Were they? I know it's a big struggle on dealing with all kinds of claims of fairness, but better than <laughs> yeah. last time. Well, How would you rate it? Well, I, I think I think definitely, you know, technology has really really changed about the, the game plan from 10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, what the mapping consultants are able to do and the amount, the, almost the data is too overwhelming. In yeah, I respect. imagine, yeah. But I, I, I do think that they, you know, followed the constitutional criteria of Arizona, the U.S. Constitution, the best they could. Um, there's a lot of different balancing um, factors that have to go into it, a lot of it's subjective, objective. Um, I, all I can tell you is that I feel very bad for these commissioners because they, they're volunteers, they're not getting paid, and they have put an enormous amount of work into this project. Yeah. So from that perspective, you know, uh, this is a good sign. Democracy works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. You, you, you're out there, you make a vote, you make an argument as to why the vote should go that way. And, and that's, uh, that's how the, the cards are played. And if as much people are as happy as are unhappy, we'll know we succeeded, right? 
<laughs> something exactly like that. Right. Somewhere in there, there's right. <laughs> somewhere yeah. in there, there's a principle. That's, okay, right. That's Bre- what the judges always say. Yeah. Right? If those parties leave my courtroom unhappy, I've done my job. <laughs> that's so. not your view. That's not my <laughs> view. That's I get it. That's exactly. the ju- yeah. Brett, I've been um, <laughs> holiday season and all that. I've been talking about lessons from fathers because family is such a big thing around this time of year, and certainly uh, everywhere you turn, you 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 are um, you are. Uh, you, given scenes or portrayals or commercials about family. So I thought, what are, what are the real lessons that we've taken from our families? Particularly, let's start with fathers. And I've been just focusing a lot of my show on that. And I, you seem like the kind of guy that would have some, some kind of fond memories or great enduring lessons you might have learned from your dad. I'd love if you would share that with us. Yeah, no, no. Thanks for the question. Uh, ho- hopefully he's listening. Um, you know, actually, uh, start, start with something that, that a friend of both yours and I always said, a guy named Tim Jeffrey. Oh, yeah. Is that there's not, there's, uh, and, and many people have heard me on the show before, I've talked about religion, things of that nature, and, um, and there's not enough Josephs in this world anymore. Uh, right? We have a lot of Marys. Uh, a lot of Marys step up. They're taking care of the community, et cetera. Um, and, and my perspective, based off of you know uh, social media, whatever you want to make, make the complaint of, not enough Josephs are standing up mm. and, and actually participating in the community and mm. taking care of mm. um, our next generation, doing that mentoring that, yeah. quite honestly, you and I um, experienced growing up. So that, that's my one overall uh, comment. But in regard to my That's father, interesting Tim he, says he, that, because he is a very good mentor. He is someone who likes to have mentees. You are, too, by the way. I, I, I've known of... Many of people in this town who told me you were their well, one of their greatest teachers. So good, well, good on you. I, I mean, I learned, I, yeah, well, I did learn mentoring from both my mom and my dad. There you go. So, yeah. Uh, but 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 one one thing for sure on that mentoring is is the importance of relationships, mm-hmm. right? That yeah. is, I think, uh, especially in this text environment where everybody just texts or emails yeah. each other. Having those relationships is just key, and and I learned that early on from from my father. Mm. Relationships at every le- level. I was in the military. Um, you know, was I always courteous and respectful to the admiral? Absolutely. Was I always courteous and respectful to their secretary? Absolutely. Because that's how the world actually gets things done is yeah. through the personal relationship. So my, my, I learned that from my father, who was a salesman, and uh, that's basically where it is. Was your daddy a military <laughs> so, man himself? He, he was not. He went to a, a boarding school at one point where he, he was in a, basically a military school. Uh-huh. He would have made a great military military officer, um, very direct, um, took care of his people, you know, things of that nature. So he, he would have been very – he also would have been a very good lawyer, but uh, um, entered into sales, and, and he could he could sell anything. So And, and, and the way he did that, again, was through relationships. Yeah. So he, if, if I got passed in on anything from him, uh, it was that. Interesting. Oh. I was just thinking about that, knowing your military service uh, to uh, or service to our country through the military. I was just wondering. Um, it, I, 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 I should look this up. I'll share it with you when I find out what percentage of children choose to join the military whose parents were not in it. I bet it's the smaller side of the equation. I bet. Oh, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, um, you look at Heather, my wife. You know, her parents both both Navy. Um, and yeah, you know, that, that, that would be the standard, I would guess. Yeah, yeah, it, it, absolutely. And, and, the, and the reason being is the military is a community in itself. Yep. Um, talk about taking care of each other. You know, when you're on deployment for nine months or a year, you know, it's really a community that comes together to uh, to take care of each family, each individual. And um, God forbid somebody gives the, the largest sacrifice and the military takes, takes care of its own. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. And, uh, you know. 
Um, and, and what's nice, you know, in this military, lot, lot, um, I think women have always done a very, very good job in the military. But once again, going back to my Mary comment, you know, there's a lot of Marys that yep. are stepping up and yep. are doing doing really good work in the military. Yep. Um, so we just need to make sure the Josephs are, are keeping the equation. I think that's a fantastic piece of advice. I think that's wonderful, yeah. Brett. I really do. Thank uh, you for that. No. Thank you. And no, thank no you for your service. Uh, we won't probably speak before Christmas, so we'll speak hopefully next week at the same uh, same usual hit if you're available. But until then, Brett, to you, Heather, and the whole family, the whole Johnson family, a very Merry Christmas to you. Yeah, absolutely. Merry Christmas to you too, Seth, and Th- everybody who's listening. Thank you, Brett. Really appreciate it. Brett Johnson, a partner over at the Snell & Wilmer uh, Law Firm. Uh, whose uh, worth is uh, is measured in its weight in gold. And I will tell you, um, we usually do our constitutional issues with Brett uh, on a weekly basis. If anyone ever has uh, a question, a theoretical question, that uh, they would like the expert to answer uh, on uh, with regard to the Constitution, Brett is always uh, happy to do it. Just uh, shoot me an email and uh, and we'll do it on air. Likely, if you have that question, someone else does too. And that someone else might <laughs> very well, be me, which is why I keep Brett Johnson close. We will be right back. 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. And Mike in Maricopa, thank you for your patience, brother. I appreciate it so much. It's quite all right, Seth. Anything. Uh, okay, uh, lessons that my dad taught. Oh, wait a minute. I, I, I wanted think, to touch yeah, on Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had two Mike things. Part. That's right. You bet. Yes, sir. Okay, I noticed on yesterday's, in addition to what you had mentioned earlier, how he just kept repeating himself. But the one thing, and I've heard some studies that have been talked about in the media lately, that if you wear a mask, it'll only give you somewhere between 1% and 2% protection. But if you wash your hands frequently, it'll give you greater than 50%. Uh, protection. So I just wonder why all we heard about him uh, saying was uh, wear a mask, get vaccinated, get your booster. But there was nothing absolutely there, anything of about washing your hands, which is vastly more important than wearing a mask. Interesting. Okay. Yes. Okay. Lessons. Uh, out pl- uh, my dad teaching me how to play catch. Oh yeah. Oftentimes, yeah. oftentimes he would say, "Keep your eye on the ball." Yeah. And I. Yeah. And I think there was a little bit more in that meaning than just. I agree with you. I could have used that one too in my monologue. That was one my dad used, and I always thought it meant more than just watching the ball that was in front of you. I always thought that was right. Yeah, I'm with you on that, Mike. And then if I'd throw back at him, and you know how the exuberance of youth is, it's always a wild throw. But my dad wouldn't go get the ball. He made me go get the ball, and that taught me a lesson Ah. to make more attention to where I was throwing at. Oh, yeah. Your actions don't have to affect someone else's point if you do them well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and another thing, there there was a term... uh, I was working with my dad. We were putting up a shed, and it wasn't out of a box. It was with two-by-fours and stuff and tin on the roof. Uh And we were talking about stuff, and this must have been, oh, maybe about 1968 and during the height of the vietnam war and we were talking about things and and i had made a comment about well they said 
And he said, well, you know, it's one of those believe half of what you hear and a quarter of what you see. Yeah. And it made me more aware of you know, the things. Uh, my dad, he was um, in Patton's Third Army. He go. sent Morris Code. In uh, he went up on uh, Normandy on D plus twelve, and he taught me a whole bunch of radio theory. Uh, bought me a kit for Christmas. Oh on you it and I had the same dad. My dad was Pacific Theater, but he did all that with me. He showed me how to build a radio. He we got an erector set. He taught me Morse code. Yeah, man. There you go. We had the same dad. And, uh, yeah, maybe uh, the twin sons of separate dads or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I hear the music coming okay. in, but I still got a couple yeah. more things Go if ahead. I can. Get it out. Okay, very good. Um, he taught me to enunciate. Sometimes, you know, when we're growing up, we're somewhere between 10 and 16 years old. You kind of have a tendency to mumble your words and this and that. And it's like, no, there's a proper way to pronounce these. You bet. Uh, I remember it. It was turned out it was after my dad had passed away, but there was something I don't know. I was dreaming one morning, and it's like I had a problem, and I was going to call my dad to ask him how yeah, to. Yeah, they're known as the soothers. They are soothers. Bless you, Mike. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.